I have within my hand the world's hottest pepper. It is a Carolina Reaper. And I'm not going to touch it with my actual hand. Uh, yeah, this, this thing... You want to, you want, yeah, you want to earn some man points, just come on, or woman points for that matter. Come on up here and chew this thing down, and we'll call the ambulance for you. Yeah, this is to be handled very carefully. Even the, 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 the fumes off this thing cooking will drive you nuts. If I touch this and rub my eyes, the sermon would be over, and Ed would have to take over, and I'd just go to the bathroom and flush my eyes out. Um, shave a little of that off and cook it with some onions and throw some eggs in there, and you got a pretty good omelet shave a little bit of it off. Uh, to borrow from the old bro cream advertisement, a little dab will do you. That's, that's all it takes. You know, God works into our lives a little tiny bit at a time. If he dumped it all on us, it'd be like chewing down a Carolina Reaper. We couldn't handle it. So he deposits within our lives truth after truth, and it doesn't happen overnight. No, no healthy spiritual growth and no church growth, healthy-wise, happens overnight. There's a slow... God is, God is not growing turnip greens. He's growing oaks, live oaks. And they take a long, long time. So I want to deposit within you some truths this morning along the path of your spiritual growth. And I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 1, and I want you to go with me down to verse, oh, let's say 10. I want you to go to verse 10. Chapter 1 of the book of Joshua, beginning in verse 10. Actually, we'll skip down to verse 12. Makes me happier. Now, we have the introduction of two and a half tribes that are going to take over part of the land east of the Jordan. And I want you to understand we're not going to just pass over this. We could read it historically and go, okay, that's nice. By the way, behind me on the map, you'll, you'll notice the Jordan River splits right down the middle there. If you'll see the Jordan River. And then off to the right of that, you see Manasseh. You see below that Gad and Reuben. Uh, that's the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. The other half is on the other side of the Jordan to your left as you're looking at it. These two and a half tribes populated land east of the Jordan. When they brought this presentation to Moses that we want to settle in this land... Moses didn't like the idea. In fact, he argued with them a little bit until they made a certain promise, then he let them have it. But I want you to notice that in verse 12, now that you see that behind me, look down to chapter 1, verse 12. And the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, now let's just stop there. The first five books of the Bible, Moses wrote. It's pretty much agreed by Jewish scholars and the Jews that Moses wrote the first five books. He wrote them during the wilderness wanderings 
probably closer to when they entered Canaan land than before. I want to show you God's preparation for Israel in going in. And I also want to show you the reason these two and a half tribes are outside the land of promise, and yet God allowed that to happen, and why? You know in the scripture there's no literary putty. There's no place where, well, you just need more verbiage in the chapter so God fills in a story. There's always a specific reason these things are included in scripture. Now, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. He had one particular reason for doing it, his purpose. He had a reason for writing these five books. And listen very carefully to what it is. Because if you understand the purpose of the writer, you will be able to properly interpret what he writes. Moses' purpose in writing the first five books of the Bible, in Genesis, let's say, was so the Jewish people would see themselves as a peculiar people, as a particular people chosen by the Lord, chosen to display his glory in the world. But he sends his people for 400 years down in bondage in Egypt. Now I want to point us back for a point of reference back to Genesis chapter 9. So I actually want you to take your Bibles and turn back to chapter 9 of the book of Genesis. Chapter 9 of the book of Genesis, flip back to there. I want to show you a very short story to show you why this purpose of Moses and how it plays out with what they're doing now. Chapter 9 of the first book of the Bible, Genesis. This is a story about Moses getting drunk. No clean way of saying that. It was after a very hard journey through 40 days and 40 nights of flooding. He'd spent all those days and probably beyond with the animals on the ark. So I guess he needed a drink. He planted a vineyard, he grew the, vin- the grapes, and he got drunk. And when he got drunk, he got naked. Those two things many times go together. The shedding of inhibitions and off the clothes come, and he's laying drunk in his tent. I love the simple clarity of the Bible, and the stories are not cleaned up for us. Well, Noah had three sons. He had Shem, Ham, and the third one, Jacob. Notice uh, in verse, oh, let's say verse 23, uh, 22. Ham walks into the tent alone, and Ham, the father of Canaan, mark that down, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers. Now, there was something in Something that's not told us there. There was something in the way Ham looked at his father in that condition, or something that Ham did. We're not told. We are told that when Noah awoke, he knew what Ham had done. What he had done was under the curse of God. We're not told what it is. You can possibly imagine. The two brothers of Ham, with integrity and honor, walk in backwards into the tent with a blanket. 
not to look on their father backward to cover him up. Now the culprit in the case is a guy named Ham. But notice in verse 25. Noah had woke up. He knew what his younger brother had done to him. And he said this. Cursed be Canaan. What? Canaan didn't do that. His father did that. You would think the passage would say, Cursed be Ham. But it doesn't. Cursed is his son. In fact, it goes on in verse 26. Blessed be the Lord, the the God of Shem. Shem is the son that the godly line will come through eventually. And let Canaan be his servant. Now, why is it Canaan and it's not Ham? Because when Moses, this actually happened. Out of the lips of Noah, he cursed Cain. Because Noah, when he wrote this, recorded that incident and that cursing because at the moment he wrote it, weeks and months after he wrote Genesis, what were the Israelites going to do? They were going to cross over Canaan, and who were they going to attack? Canaanites. All those Pezushites and herbicides and mosquito bites and all those bites down in, down in Egypt or down in Canaan. We're all descendants of Cain. He wanted the Israelite people to see they were chosen of God and that everything down in that land by the land of Canaan, Cain was cursed by God. He wanted to see that the people were a symbol of sin and sin was cursed by God. Now did God not love the Canaanites? Yes. He gave them 400 years to repent of their sin, and they didn't. But God takes the whole people as a whole and symbolizes them and pictures them as the curse of Canaan. Listen. Sin is a cursed thing to God. And he wanted the mentality of those people when they crossed over Jordan to look at people that had the curse of God on them. The judgment of God was going to fall on the people of Jericho who were Canaanites. You see how God, in a Carolina reaper way, shaved a little off and gave it to the Canaanites that what they were doing was the righteous judgment of God and that God was in the midst of cursing sin. Now, we come to our present study of the Gadites, the Reubenites, and Manasseh, the half-tribe. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Now, I know Deuteronomy isn't like this incredibly exciting book for you, but I want you to know that Deuteronomy is an exciting book for me. Let me tell you why. Deuteronomy is the pulpit of Moses. Moses gets right to this promised land, right to the east side of the Jordan. He knows he can't go in. God told him, you're not going in. 
He asked him so many times that God says, enough, stop asking me. I said no, I mean no. Which is a great parenting strategy, by the way. Don't ask me again, he says to Moses. You're not going in. So rather than Moses getting bitter because God wouldn't let him do that, he spends his last few months preaching a sermon. Deuteronomy. There it is. Not only does he preach the entire... By the way, Deuteronomy means to say it with words. That's what the Hebrew means. To say it with words. Moses is going to retell the law as he preaches. At the end of the book, he writes a song. Second to last chapter of Deuteronomy is Moses' song. He's a songwriter. And then after that, he goes up to the mountain and he dies. And he doesn't worry anyone with funeral expenses. God buries him. That's a great way to end life. I'd like to end life like that. Preach a sermon, write a song, die, and then have everybody go home. That's good stuff. That's the way to do it, isn't it? Best death I ever heard was Karen's grandmother, Granny Norton, who died with a dish towel in her hand on Christmas Eve. She was drying dishes and just fell over with a heart attack. Praise the Lord. That's a good death, isn't it? There are good deaths and then there are bad deaths. We don't get to choose, but Moses' was a good one. Chapter 2, verse 26. So I sent messengers. Notice he's preaching, so he's saying, I sent messengers. This isn't told on a third person. I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Shiloh the king of Heshbon with words of peace saying, let me pass through your land. I will go only by the road. I will turn aside neither to the right or to the left. You can sell me food. I'll buy your water. Only let me pass by by foot. And then he mentions other tribes that have let him and the Israel pass through to get to Canaan land. Notice verse 30. But Sihon, the king of Heshbon, would not let them pass. Because God was hardening his heart because he wanted those people, for whatever purposes he had, destroyed. Now, Take a look. Oh, let's go down to verse 36. God tells him to destroy every city, men, women, and children, leave no survivors. Notice verse 35. Only the livestock we took as spoil for ourselves. Notice the reference to livestock. What we're going to learn is the Gadites and Reubenites from the Numbers and Manasseh from Numbers were raisers of cattle. They loved cattle. They love sheep. They love anything that ate grass. This is what they did. These two countries that we're going to take over, notice verse chapter 3 of Deuteronomy. And we turned and went up from the way of Besham, and Og, Og, the king of Beshach, came out against us. So he's going to kill two kings and their kingdoms, Og and the king before which is, ooh, let me find it, Shiloh. Shion and King are, uh, Og are two of the kings that, he's, that Israel, on their way to Canaan land, before they get to the Jordan, are going to destroy. Now, if you read the story, all the cities, a lot of walled cities, a lot of grazing pastures, 
They wiped them out. You have these empty territories with nothing in them. You have these two and a half tribes who love to raise cattle and sheep. You've got pasture lands. You know, it's, it, it, it's like going to a house that's already built and you find it empty and you just start moving in. You didn't build it, but you got it. Good stuff. So these two and a half tribes comes to Moses and they say, can we have this land? Moses said, I don't like that. For this reason, we are, to use a southern colloquial term, fixing to go over the Jordan into Canaan land. And we're going to have to fight for the land. So you guys got a free pass. No, I don't like that. Because your brothers have to fight for what they got. You just get it handed to you. So these two and a half tribes make this deal with Moses. Look, we will go over the men of valor. We'll go over the Jordan and we will fight with our brothers until their land is settled. Let us leave our little ones and our our wives in those areas to help take care of the cattle and the sheep and populate it. The men will go over, and when it's all over, we'll come back over the Jordan, and we'll settle there. Do you you understand the history? Do you see what's going on? All right, now, turn back to Joshua. Turn back to Joshua. So they made this promise to Moses in the hearing... Oh, by the way, let's go back to Deuteronomy. I forgot something there, okay? Go back to Deuteronomy, chapter 3. I want you to see one more thing about these two kings. That's Carolina Reaper stuff, little tiny shavings of what's going on. And these two kings that were destroyed by Israel and their lands taken, these two and a half tribes would take them. There's another purpose. Chapter 3 of the book of Deuteronomy Verse 18, this is part of the command he gives to these two and a half tribes. And I command you at that time, saying, The Lord your God has given you this land to possess. All your men of valor shall pass over armed before your brothers, the children, the people of Israel, only your wives, your little ones, your livestock. Yeah, look, I know you got a lot of livestock. Shall remain in the cities until the Lord gives rest to your brothers. Then you can go back and occupy the land. Verse 21, don't miss this. And I commanded Joshua at that time. He turns to Joshua. Two kings wiped out. He says, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. Why is that important for Moses to say, Look what God did to these two kings. We'll read on. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Now mark that down. I gave you an early taste of what you can have on a regular basis in the land of Canaan. I came in, and we wiped out these two kings. You saw it. Never forget it. How does that apply to us today? During the wilderness wanderings of the Christian life, before we enter into full grace and understand the victory that we have, there are victories out in the desert. 
There are victories. It isn't like all these 40 years of dryness was without miracles. Did God not perform miracles for us before we understood our identity with Christ? But they were simply little tastes, momentary things of what God intends for an ongoing experience of the believer. You know that verse that says, taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, that's Og and Shihon. That's the two kings. But tasting isn't eating. I can taste a turnip green, but I want to eat the whole pile of it. And this is what's meant for our ongoing Christian experience. Not moments of victory. Life consistently of victory. And he says, Joshua, you see it with your eyes? I never want you to forget that. All right, now turn back to Joshua. Tell folks your preacher spends years in a book, and they'll say, well, how does he do that? Well, this is how he does that. (laughs) We take our time. We study all of it. These two and a half tribes isn't just historical filler. There's powerful reasons why these two and a half tribes are there. God destroyed these two kings on the other side of the Jordan. He's going to give them this land, but I want you to see a third thing. Take a look at verse 12. Joshua says to these two and a half tribes, he reminds them again, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. By the way, let me say that life lives on after you're dead. People quote you after you're dead. People tell stories about you after you're dead. Those stories are usually embellished embellished and bigger than you actually were, which is nice. Don't you talk about people that have died and what they said? How many of you ever said, my father once said, my mother used to say? We talk about that around the holidays. Do you remember the Christmas, da-da-da-da-da? Don't think that when you die, it's over. It's not over. God uses your life and the lives of people years generations after you're gone. My gra- there was no Christian in my family growing up. The closest we had was Granny Smith. I'm pretty sure Granny Smith was saved. I remember looking at her Bible after she died. You couldn't have writ- written any more in the margins than Granny Smith re- wrote. I never knew that growing up. We just thought she was a kind of a religious nut. That's what we thought. Oh yeah, Granny's religious. But that, that meant a lot to me. You know, my father used to introduce to me to other people when I was wee little. First thing I ever remember my father introducing, I don't know where he got it from. He said, this is my preacher right here. This is my little minister right here. And if you'd known me, that was, the, that was a joke. You know, I caused a lot of people a lot of trouble just, just raising whatever. Well, anyway, enough. Notice. The Lord commanded Moses to tell you that the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and would give you this land, your wives, your little ones, your livestock. These things had to be said over and over. They will remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, but all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he had to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
Then you shall return to your land of possession, and you possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And this is what they said to Joshua. They said, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever, wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against you, your commandment, and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Well, that's some clear stuff, isn't it? Clear stuff. I listened to the radio on the way in this morning, 690, to get the news at 8 o'clock. And they had a voiceover. They started the news before the last, it was Lutheran hour. And the end of the Lutheran hour, they had the organ come on. You know, the Lutheran organ that comes on. Oh, it's nice old organ music. Well, they started the news before the organ was done. So there was this lap over of the organ and the news. And I really want to hear the news. So I'm really trying to fight through the organ music to get to the news. But then when that got done, they didn't correct the problem. Somebody else came on and talked. And so you had two voices going on over top of each other. I became so frustrated, I finally just turned it off. And I was getting a headache trying to pick out which voice was which. No two voices here. This is clear. This is clarity stuff. Let me give you a couple things. Oh, the point I wanted to make was this. The two and a half tribes, they were going in with their others. Because the victory that they were going to achieve in Canaan land, they would do together as a group. In the New Testament, the place to grow is together in a church. There is no such thing as individualistic Christianity in the New Testament. Paul said in Ephesians 4, until we all come to the maturity of the fullness of Christ. You can't run this race alone, isolated from the body of Christ. We grow together. How does that happen? It's more than just you hearing the preaching. It's you rubbing shoulders with other Christians in this church. Do you know over half the Bible is narrative? Do you know that? Over half the Bible is not the Psalms and the Proverbs and the preaching and the, and the, the epistles and the teaching. Over half the Bible are stories because God knows that it is stories that communicate and change our lives how many stories of other Christians do you know within this fellowship you ought to know a thousand you ought to know a bunch of them you ought to get like like grapes in a bag that we mash up all juicy and you ought to let your lives run into the lives of others and their life run into you. Do you understand? What would have happened? Well, let's get, to the, let's get to the thing. Number one, sin is under the curse of Almighty God. You need to know that. Sin in your life, in my life, is under the curse of never take sin lightly whether it's an attitude that shouldn't be there or a habit that's sinful. 
whether it's of the spirit or of something we're doing, sin is always under the curse of God. Don't make excuses for it. Don't rationalize it. Well, I'm only human. You know, I'm only human. God understands I have a weakness in this area. No, he doesn't. That sin is under the curse of God. When he told them to go into Canaan land, he said, wipe them out. Men, women, children, animals, leave nothing there. Did they do it? No. They left remnants of the land. If you look at the history of of Israel, what gave them problems was who they left. It's all under a curse. Whatever you allow, whatever you give excuse for, whatever you permit with sin in your life, you may claim, well, I'm under grace. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Sin is under the curse of Almighty God. It just is. Number two, all that hinders must be removed. Now, watch this. Watch this. Listen carefully. Cain was under the curse. Og and Shihon were not under the curse. Og of Bashan, I love these names, don't you? Shiloh of wherever he was from, they weren't Canaanites. They weren't. So they weren't under the curse. What were they? Why were they wiped out? Because when Israel and and Moses came through, they said, can we come through? And what was the response of the two kings? By the way, kings before had said, yeah, come on through. It's a good deal. Just go through the road. We'll buy your food. We'll buy your water. We're not going to mess with anything. We just want to pass through. Many kings before that said, yeah, go on through. But not these two guys. These two guys said, no, no, no. You're not going through the land. What did they do to Moses? They hindered him. What did they do to the children of Israel, God? They hindered him. They said, we're not letting you through. We are hindering you. God wiped out those two kings, not because there was a curse on them, but because they were hindering the children of Israel. There are things in our lives that are not sin, but they're hindering things. There are things that preoccupy you too much. The risk of stepping on toes, technology. It's... it's It is believed that the average American looks at their iPhone, cell phone, every 6.5 minutes. How many times a day do we need to check the emails? Nothing wrong with the phones, nothing wrong with checking, but do you see how things can absorb us? What's wasting your time out there? I guarantee you, searching on Facebook for four hours Going on searches that you didn't even intend on going on is a waste of our precious time. Okay. Things can hinder. Hobbies can become obsessive to us. Nothing wrong with hobbies. I love distractions. We need that stuff. I've even gotten to a little tiny bit of couch potatoing as I grow older. I'll allow myself an hour, hour and a half to couch potato in the evening. But do that too much, and you become a potato. There are things that can hinder you. Don't waste your time. You know you got a few years left. You know that. 
You only got a few months and years, and you might have only a few days left. Make, don't let anything hinder you. Oswald Chambers said, be carelessly care, be carefully careless about everything else in life except your relationship with Jesus Christ. 